Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Recorded live. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Freedom Fighters for America World Radio at www. FreedomFightersForAmerica.com. It is March 5th, 2015, and coming up uh, next is Al Cuppet, former action officer from the Joint Chiefs of Staff out of the Pentagon, now retired. To start the show, we will do the Battle Hymn of the Republic, so please stand by. Freedom Fighters for America World Radio is sponsored by Freedom Fighters for America, and thank you for tuning in. So please stand by. I want to thank you all for tuning in tonight. Tonight's show will be the 401st show for this network. Uh, that is 401 total of shows that have been done here at Freedom Fighters for America Radio and Freedom Fighters for America World Radio. And I will be the 401st show tonight, so please stand by. And 
up on the fan tail now, ladies and gentlemen, the host of the show, Al Cuppet. Al? A little rocking on the fan tail here. Let me see if I can. Al, are you there? Al, is that you? Okay, that's not Al. We are waiting for our host, Al Cuppet. Please stand by. Again, this is Freedom Fighters for America World Radio at www.freedomfightersforamerica.com. And now on the fantail, the helicopter's landed. And ladies and gentlemen, here's the host of the show, Al Cuppet. have to get that lady on mute somehow. Okay, here we go. Al? Uh, Roger that. I heard the synthesized lady speaking her synthesized voice. Did you know today, you know, I wanted to tell you something, that tonight's show is show number 401 uh, for this network, so it is a milestone here tonight, and wow. uh, yeah, I mean, it's in total shows altogether, including other interviews and other guests, it's 401 shows, so we've passed the mile mark, and uh, I just wanted to let you know that. And, uh, you know, with this FCC takeover now, calling the Internet a utility, uh, I'm hoping that all our listeners, uh, wherever they may be, will download some of the past shows so that they can have them in case something happens uh, with the takeover of the Internet. Yeah, because they definitely want to tax us out of existence. Uh, They want to put a tax on it, or they want to get where they can run the price up to where anybody, most people won't be able to get a hold of it even. Okay, folks, here we are tonight. Uh, we just had four inches of snow, and uh, hopefully in about three days it'll warm up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for that. I want to read the scripture here, folks. Um, Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13, basically this, pretty much the same the synoptic chapters, Jesus was telling his disciples when the end of the world would come and when these things would be, when the, uh, his return was coming back, when will my coming be, and at the end of the world. And he, kept, he told them all about terrible wars and rumors of wars and all these terrible things, nations against nations, and uh, the abominations will stand up and speak out, which will be the Antichrist. And then he says, in the 29th verse, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, now this is a paragraph marker. He's just talked about 28 verses about the bad things. 29 has a paragraph marker, and we're talking now about a different angle. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in the heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And here it says, He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. And he just made it after these days of tribulation. So we're going to see tribulation. Plainly says in Thessalonians that he, the day of the Lord will not come until the man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. He'll be revealed. And it just says in the first 
28 verses, it talks about, you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. Okay? So, forget the rapture bit. We'll be praying that the Lord will prepare you for what's coming. All right. We're going to pray tonight. That's what we usually do. Join me in prayer for the needs that we voice here. Uh, my son's wife needs to be wised up. She needs to catch on to what's happening in this world. And uh, I'm going to pray for these prayer requests as we usually do. Like in Acts chapter 4, it says they lifted up their voice in one accord. They prayed out loud. They were praying for certain needs that they had been real, realized they had to have certain things. And what had happened to them, they said, Lord, I want you to magnify your holy child, Jesus. And when they got through praying this out loud prayer together, the place was shaken. Okay? Well, let's pray now, and I'll just go down the list, and we all pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the program tonight. We thank you for your blessings. We ask you, Lord, that you might forgive us of any deeds or sins we have had or said before we came to this program. Lord, we bring this need before you, these needs in this prayer list, O oh God, before thy throne tonight. Thank you for all your blessings, Father, in the name of Jesus. We ask you now to bless Prime Minister Netanyahu. Thank you, Lord, for this speech two days ago. We ask that you would spare the elect and the very elect, that you would spare our Jewish friends from the Holocaust that is coming. We ask you, Lord, that Stan's business venture would prosper very well. We ask you for the Johnsons and their land sale out in Arizona. Be with them on this venture, Lord. And we ask you, Father, for Linda and Tammy and Austin. We ask you for uh, Myron and Ted. We ask you for the whole Johnson family, for Catherine and John, Jean, Justin and Aaron. We lift their names up to you, Lord. We ask you to give grace and mercy to this family as you have done before. Continue with the rest of them, Father, in Jesus' name. We pray for Isaac, Lou, and Nisa down in South America, Lord. We ask you to watch over them as they prepare for what's coming. I pray for Rosemary tonight, and I'd ask her that she would pray for my son, oh God, that Lily would pray for my son. We ask for Elizabeth and Herbert over there in South Africa. Be with Elizabeth and those in that land that I know of there, my friends. We ask you to be with them. We pray for Bob and Norma, for Chris and Anna. We pray for Harriet, Dawn, and Dave. We also pray for Sarah and Ted and Karen. Watch over them all, Lord, in the land of China where they labor for the Lord. We pray tonight for Don, open his eyes, and touch him for this, for this situation. We pray for Kathy and Joyce and Leslie. We plead the blood of Jesus over David and Michael. Watch over them and protect them from the evil one, O oh Lord, as they go through their days in college. We pray for Linda, Pat, Ted, and Matt, especially for Kelly, Teddy, and Kristen, Mike, and Bill up in the state of New Hampshire. Those, Lord, that aren't saved, we ask you, O oh Lord, that you would save their souls at any cost, no matter what it is. We pray for Milton and Bailey and Autumn, and we ask for Dawn and Marilyn tonight. Thank you for the blessings you bestowed on this family, but, Lord, we pray for the souls of these children and these grandchildren this night. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, for Marriott in Washington, for Joe and Kathy in Maryland. We ask you, Lord, to be with Jason, his, his quest for salvation. If there's any unspoken request out there, Lord, that they have out there, we ask you to meet it right now as we lay it before the altar of the living God. We ask you, Lord, to be with our listeners tonight, with our program and our producer. 
We ask it all in the name of Jesus for his glory forevermore. Amen and amen. Okay, folks, um, a few odds and ends up here first. You notice that the prime minister spoke here two days ago on the third day of the third month, and it was his third trip to this nation to speak before this Congress. This is a sign from heaven, folks. We've been given the word. We've been given the word from heaven. This is a divine uh, progression of one, two, three times that he spoke. The third time, the Lord set it up, and we have been given an ultimatum here. And our president is going in the wrong direction, and he will be judged severely by God for his handling of Israel. And like Brother Bob said, it's homosexuality, it's abortion, and our treatment of Israel. Those three things are going to do in this nation our mistreatment of Israel, because right now, we, with one hand, we give, them a, we give them some help with Iron Dome and so forth, but the next hand, we have the, the president would not even go here. He wouldn't even watch it. He wouldn't even watch the program. And about 30 Jewish congressmen decided that they're going to go and not go either. Well, I want to tell you 30 Jewish congressmen up there, you cannot separate yourself from Israel. You've got Jewish DNA in your blood. And I'm telling you, you better join with Israel, and you better go to Israel as fast as you can, because the gates are soon closing on anybody leaving this country. It won't be long. It won't be long. Now, Smith Wigglesworth raised 23 men from the dead between the time of his birth, which was about 1860 through 1950. He was a prophet of God who traveled the world on a ship. He didn't have airplanes. He traveled with Stanley Trojan, his son-in-law, and his daughter, and his wife. He didn't have a, He didn't read the newspaper. He only read the King James Bible. And you need to get some of this tripe out of your life. Brother Stair said, get out of the city, get out of the television, and get out of debt. And I only watch the news on the television because I have to see what they're doing. I can tell what they're doing, what they're saying, the lies they're telling, what they're planning. You've got Hillary Clinton out there. She didn't turn in her email. She wasn't supposed to be using five separate emails. She didn't want anything she had to be put out in the public. And it'll never be out there because all the stuff. She had a server in her own house. The server was in her own house, and everything was on the server, but she owned the server. Somebody paid big bucks for that operation, okay? The wicked shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so Wigglesworth was this great prophet of God. And Sister Bloom, my friend in Hawaii, was a missionary to China, studied under him for two years at Bethany Bible College. He taught about the Bible school students almost 100 years ago. And they were empowered with the, the Holy Ghost baptism and the King James Bible, and they went to the mission fields. And Wigglesworth taught them specifically. And he didn't. He said, the Lord can show me in my Bible what I need to know. I don't have to read the newspaper. It's true. It's true. However, it's nice to have a newspaper to kindle my fire, so I got one. Um, Newspaper is handy stuff to have around. So the television set has got a camera in it. He's high-definition TVs. He's got a video camera in there. 
And if they got a video camera, believe me, when you got 120 volts, they can take whatever they've recorded and they can do burst communications back to either a satellite or an airplane flying over or a truck parked in front of this house. And they can take a download of everything that thing has watched in your house for weeks and weeks. This is why Mr. Clinton wanted to give everybody $100 back in the late 90s to, to convert, to buy a converter, which would put the television set, would convert digital to analog to the old folks' set so the old folks could uh, watch a digital TV, but that converter had a glass plate on the front of it. And you can bet there was a camera behind it. But now time went by, and they gave everybody $40 to get uh, a converter. They finally gave them $100. Uh, 40 bucks. Now the new digital TV sets, the new digital TV sets, stand by one here, folks. I got a little interference. Hold on just a second. They, uh, the new digital TV sets have a camera in there, and uh, they have got the, uh, the thing set up so you can be watched, and that's not a very good idea as far as I can tell. People want to be watched. You don't need to have your television set in the house. There are ways that you can keep that from happening, but believe me, that thing can hear at any time. Okay, let's uh, go to the next item here. I want to read... uh, I want to read... one other item... Heinrich Mueller was the Gestapo chief in Germany. He told a OSS agent, he said, I can bring about a coup in the United States. He said, you can't do that. We don't have a controlled press. He says, you have, how many news services do you have? Well, about six. He said, what if they're all in one city? Put them all in one city, in one city block. Well, that's the case. Most of those news channels come right out of New York City in a couple of blocks, a couple of blocks of each other. And the same news is on the same channel every night. All news news outlets have the same five stories, same five stories, and then and they time the commercials. They time the commercials so that every one of those news channels goes to the commercial break at the very same time, within a second of it. So they've coordinated. They've coordinated so they you can't go clicking around. And all you're going to get is you're going to get commercials on all the four channels because they've coordinated that. Now, I'll tell you this much. In 1996, the Republican states were all blue states. The Democratic states prior to 1996 and 96 and before, the red states were all Democrats because red is the symbol for communism. And that's how the, the thing was set up. Well, in 2000, that all changed. Republican states are now red and the Democrats are blue. And they coordinated that. All four networks coordinated that. They all come out with their very same format. The colors changed on all four networks for election coverage. So they are in league with each other. And they are controlling everything and coordinating everything. And that's what Mueller said they they would do. We have a controlled press, and we do. Um, Brokaw said there was going to be 25 tons of there was 25 tons of high nitrate fertilizer stolen from Brewston Mills West Virginia Farmers Co-op. I went to Brewston Mills a couple months later, and with my three ID cards, 
I got two employees, one in the front desk and one in the back. There was no fertilizer stolen. It was all a bookkeeping error, but it got on television that 25 tons of high nitrate fertilizer, and it was spread on all the networks. It's always it's all controlled. Okay, well, you heard about the Chinese now are complaining to Obama about Americans have guns. Well, Brother Bob warned us back about last summer. He said, watch out for the 11th of November. I said, wonder what's going on. Well, Obama was in China the 11th of November, and he negotiated some kind of a deal. Later on, Bob said, you know, Lord showed me he, there's something called the, the TPP. Uh, he said, I don't know what it was. Maybe it means Trans-Pacific Pact. Well, it turns out it means Trans-Pacific Partnership. China's involved now, and they want to, they're going to be operating here, and they want the guns off the street. They don't want to have to put up with the guns. And then you saw there was an ammunition thing where they showed some ammunition with green tips. That happens to be, and I am not into guns, but I'm into the military. And that happens to be 62-grain NATO steel core, 5.56. The NATO steel core, when that bullet strikes, the steel core is narrower than the the round. The round is covered with, with a full metal jacket. But that core comes straight through and punches through armor. And that's exactly the reason they, that Obama has taken instructions to Get rid of those, those green tip bullets. So they're up there working. The Chinese are involved in this, and this is part of this Trans-Pacific tax, as best I can tell. Now, when I was uh, overseas in India, some things happened to me, and uh, I was asked by my, I think she's my seventh cousin or something like that, her maiden name is also the same as mine, and she has a radio program out there. She asked me to write a chapter to her book, which was Hope for the Years Ahead. And I did. I wrote a chapter for it, and uh, I sent it to her, and she published it in a little booklet. And I had a copy of them, and I decided to go look at it the other day, and I found out it was pretty good. So I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read it and explain to you what happened over there. And uh, it started on the night. I wrote it on the 19th of July, 2009. Greetings from Madison County, Virginia. It's the 19th day of July, and I've been asked to write a chapter to the book Hope for the Years Ahead. Times of the essence, and I want to essence and to get the book's manuscript into print. However, I've got a garden coming in, and I'm going to have to hustle here. So here we go. In 1992, in October, a knock at my room door at the Emanuel Bible Institute in Coda Junction, India, broke into the quiet bliss of preparing to go to bed. A delegation of three students. Oh, there it is again. Three students. I saw it when I wrote it. I may have not thought about it, but I thought about it now when I mentioned Bibi Netanyahu speaking for the third time in America. It's a number for divinity. It's a number for divine authority and divine appointment. Third time he came, the third day of the month, the third month. You can't get that by happenstance, okay? The three students appeared, and they were saying, Uncle, come quickly. 
sister's very sick in the dispensary. Please come and pray, Uncle. I said, uh-oh. Now the spiritual rubber meets the theological road. In the course of a week or so, I had lectured on a number of pertinent Bible subjects, and one was divine healing. I truly believe in such, and I was completely healed in about 1982 of at least five pressing medical problems that were racking my body, and this was during a Frank Wise meeting in Maryland. Now, that's when Frank was using only the King James Version Bible and not the expanded edition he switched to later because uh, he expanded it with Greek and Hebrew, and that's not the Word of God, and that's where the Holy Ghost quit on him, and his message was completely different. Ten years later, when I won a, a copy of a sermon that he preached on love, I wanted my son to have it. They'd just gotten saved, and I wanted him to have it. And he sent me a copy of it, and I listened to it. Uh-oh, my wife said, you gonna, you going to send that to my son, our son? I said, nope, that's a sure change. Completely different from what I heard 10 years prior. So that, therein lies a long story, but now there stood three students at my door. They'd believe my preaching, and folks, they were there with, my sister's very sick, Uncle, come to the dispensary. Now, I started out, if not somewhat hesitantly, down the small, uh, to the small room that was somehow called a dispensary. There, a fever-ridden and stricken, flat on her back on a padded table in, in an apparent coma was a, a beautiful young lady of about 19 years of age. The faithless, the faithless thought came back to me. Okay, Cuppet, you preach it. Now do something, boy. Man, I thought, I'm in a real fix. So I told one student to find some oil or anything we could use to anoint her as she as we prayed. So look in James chapter 14. You'll understand that anoint with oil and pray for the sick, okay? That's the first witness you get in the Bible. In the mouth of two of the witnesses, the labor will be established. We have one witness that the Lord will raise somebody up or heal somebody by the Bible itself. But I found out that you have to have a second witness if something is going to happen. If something's truly going to happen, you need some witness, a second witness from somebody over the years. And that's biblical because he says everything should be established by two witnesses. The first witness is the Word. It's in the Word. You shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Okay? James tells us, he tells us in chapter 5, he, he tells us that you call for the elders of the church, and I'll read it to you right here. Verse 14. Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, or her up, okay? And if he or she has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So I've discovered over the years... That for a person to be healed, you need a second witness because some someone has to get a measure of faith to spring up in, in the Holy Ghost faith to believe for the healing. How many times do you pray for somebody and pray and pray and pray and nothing ever happened? And you prayed the best prayer you had. You can pray to your throat gets, gets, gets sick, gets tired and weak, and the sick person doesn't get well. So I've seen it happen many times. But well, that's time that happened for real, the right way, okay? 
hoping she was still in the land of the living, I said to seven or eight students assembled, some of them weeping, okay, brothers and sisters, we're going to pray out loud in unison in one accord, like I taught you in the class, just as it says in Acts chapter 4. You go to Acts chapter 4, and about verse 14, you'll see it says they lifted up their voice in unison in one accord. They lifted up their voices in one accord. They were praying for, for the church to be blessed, okay? You'll also remember they were praying for Peter when he was in jail. And Rhoda went to the, the, Peter got out of the jail, the angel got him out, and he went to the house, knocked on the door, and Rhoda runs to the door, and she hears Peter outside, she runs back and says, hey, Peter's at the front door. No, he ain't, he's in jail. Yeah, he is. I say, no, 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 he, he's out there. I'll talk to him. Well, it must be his angel. Well, they're in there praying for Peter to, for Peter to get out of jail, and he knocks on the door, and they didn't believe it was him. <laughs> well, oh, ye of little faith. But they, they delivered Peter with their prayers, evidently. So anyhow, <clears throat> uh, as I touched her forehead with the olive oil, I realized her brain must have already been destroyed. I have never felt such heat from a human being. I broke into the most fervent prayer I had ever prayed, the students hardly joining me, and what would have sounded like organized madness to a staunch Southern Baptist. You don't pray. They pray one person here, maybe, and then another person pray, and then one other person pray. No, you pray all out loud together all at one time. I watched it happen, and that's how it works. And we prayed. We had no other choice. I prayed the best and most fervent prayer I knew how to pray, but it was not my faith that was going to heal her, because at that moment I just didn't have it. Because I thought I just felt her. I just figured her head was cooked. Okay, because. A human being gets a temperature over 100, I mean, a, a, a grown adult, you get a fever over 100, I don't know, 104 or 5, you're close to dying. A child can have a fever up to 104, it doesn't hurt anything, but not an adult, okay? So, but one of the students most certainly had faith, all right? The Holy Spirit finally let us subside, and we all left the dispensary and headed for bed. So I went into my room, I went to my into my room, I told three of them, I said, you go back and get the kids to pray before they went to sleep. Pray one more time before you go to sleep, okay? We prayed in the name of Jesus, and the uh, Lord lift, raise her up in the name of Jesus, and and we left. Because we're going to be back, I said, we're going to be back here at 12, 11 o'clock, it's 11 o'clock right now, we're going to be back here at 5.30 in the morning, and I'd be up here speaking to them, and I'd be hoping. But you know, I got up and I was busy. I was busy putting my notes together, and I noticed the students weren't quiet. They were they were chattering amongst themselves. They were chattering at home, and they would hear a humdrum talking. First time that had happened. Usually, when you walk in, they're very quiet. They've been meditating and praying before we come. I told them, "You pray before I get up here. If you're up here, start praying as soon as you get here." Okay. But all of a sudden, they were talking amongst themselves, and. Uh, at 5.15, I heard the tip-flop, tip-flop of the girls' sandals as they filed quietly from the girls' dorm past my shuttered window on the way to the chapel up the stairs at the end of the breezeway. I got my stuff together, and I'm standing up there at the podium. The students were assembled, and they were kind of making, uh, like I said, they were they were kind of chattering below the low, very really quietly, all talking to each other. Well... 
suddenly, a beautiful young lady jolted my thoughts and came into view looking up at me. Uncle, look, I'm healed. The Lord healed me. There she was, a walking, breathing, living testimony to the power of the Lord Jesus and the Holy Ghost. How did this happen? It certainly hadn't been my faith because I was sure her brain was already cooked by that fever. Now, I'm adding the next four paragraphs to show you the miraculous power of the Lord. This sister's took, healing took place on my third trip to India, okay? And at that time, there was serious persecution against the Bible school in Kota. The director was in the States raising funds, um, and his vice director was in New Delhi explaining the trouble against the Christians in that state of Rajasthan to the Minister of the Interior at the Indian government in New Delhi. I told the students we needed a miracle. I said, Sam's gone up there trying to tell the Minister of the Interior what's, what's happening down here in the terrible persecution. Uh, the, the director is in the States preaching and raising funds, and you actually should be tithing and praying for the Lord to send the funds. You don't have to go back to the States. If you fast and pray, he'll supply the funds without you going back and beating on everybody's door uh, four months at a time. And I told the students we got a, we needed a miracle. How many would fast, come and pray? And I said, you can do it at your own personal discretion. Every hand went up. How much of a miracle I didn't realize from the months later. Now, I usually buy a round-trip first-class sleeper car ticket for 35 bucks to go 100, 500 miles down and back. And that's the only ticket you can get because there's only one window out of the 20 that, that knocked out a million people in front of it, and that's the first-class ticket. So you just walk up there and get a first-class ticket. I was finally blessed to have the railroad man who was associated with the Bible school get me a first-class sleeper berth. On both trips before, he took the first-class ticket, I found out, and he exchanged it for a second-class ticket. And what he did was he kept the difference because he wasn't a Christian. He had backslidden, and he was there was big trouble at that place, folks. The Lord sent me there just in time to show him the right Bible. That evening, the students all came to see me off. Now, that was the next morning was my last day there. And it took me so much to realize why. The Lord's healing of the student brought them all down to the train station, and they followed me all the way there, waving as the train pulled out. That had never happened before. And I finally figured out after I was on the way home why they all come. 200 students showed up to take me to the railroad station. That had never happened before. And the director and the vice director were not there. It took me some time to realize this. The Lord's healing had brought them all down. And uh, I was blessed by the Lord to be put in a berth next to what appeared to be the Indian Army's chief of staff. This high-ranking general came on, and he had armed guards on both ends of the train car. My brother Apal was, was with me, and he was back in the next car. And he came running up when we got to New Delhi. He said, Uncle, these thugs stopped the train. Those opposition parties stopped the train three times before we got out of the state of Rajasthan. But I was safe and sound asleep all the way. This is what happened. This was a miracle of deliverance. And I usually come out of India half sick with a head cold and always tired. I had a close escape, but I didn't realize it. I didn't understand this until some time later. But another miracle had happened. The miracle that we had prayed for and fasted for the opposition party thugs 
that very evening after the train pulled out, came to the school in a huge screaming mob demanding the head of the vice director. They were told that both the director and the vice director were gone. They were planning to kill both of them if they found them. But they were both absent. Thank the Lord for that. Within a week, apparently, the Minister of the Interior bought the vice director's explanation and had the ringleaders, all 11 of them, arrested in jail for a year without a trial. The Lord knows how to deliver his saints. By the way, the train stopped three times. And I had three students come to my room. And that's the number for the Godhead or divinity. And these 11 thugs got jailed. 11 is known for judgment, and those turkeys got a, a year in jail without a trial. This perfectly fits with Scripture and America's found in only the King James Bible. The Lord works in numbers, okay? He's got a number system out there. You don't try to play the system, but he does work in them. Well, folks, I'll tell you what. I read there from James 5.14 to call the elders and anoint with oil. That's the first witness that God can heal. But I found if a real healing is to be done by the Holy Ghost, you need a second witness for healing faith to be manifested at that point in time. The word says in the mouth of two of the witnesses, shall every word or matter be established. Where had the healing faith come from that day in India? I'm convinced that one of the students who had heard me lecture was praying and they heard the Holy Ghost say to him, have uncle pray for her and I shall heal her. When I agreed to pray for her, and as we prayed, that student's faith soared, and she he grasped hold of the horns of the altar and believed for the young lady's healing. Thus she stood there before me the next morning completely well. Hallelujah, Jesus. <clears throat> I had another time this happened. I'm going to read about it. I put this, uh, this didn't go in the book, but I made some copies of this little chapter, and I put this at the end. And about in 1990, I was asked by Pastor Hickson and his wife to go with Tanya's grandmother to Cumberland, Maryland, to pray for Tanya who was suffering with Lyme disease in the fourth and final stage. They hadn't given her any antibiotics. They had treated her with steroids and stuff, and that didn't stop. It was, it was a bacterial infection, Lyme disease. Tanya was weak, and they had told us, her grandmother had told us that she had two weeks to live. And as we talked to her, she was in that bed at 22 years of age, and she had two weeks to live. Now, her grandmother was one of my mother's friends when my mother was going to school, okay? And I'll make a point of that. The pastor then asked me to read a scripture. What? Man, this girl is two weeks to live, and you're asking me to read some verses? You're 10 years older than me, I'm thinking. You know, you need to read them. I said, Lord, what am I going to do? Who's going to be the second witness? If we're going to pray in faith, somebody's got to, something's got to happen. Immediately, immediately I heard, I, I heard the words 103. In my spirit, I felt impressed 103. I heard it just as sure as, you know, that it's 9.30, in the afternoon, in the evening. And I said, 103? That can only be Psalm 103. So I grabbed my Bible, and I said, okay, folks, uh, 
the Lord has said 103. We prayed, and I, I read the scripture, and I started reading, and it says, Forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Now, I knew what Psalms 2 says, Psalm 23, Psalm 91, you know, Psalm 150, but I didn't know anything about 103. Says, who redeem us by life from destruction, who crown the sea with loving kindness and tender mercies, so that thy youth is restored like the eagles. I said, folks, I want to tell you something. I had no idea what this psalm said, but I read it. Because I heard the Lord say, I heard something say 103. So we prayed. And we prayed out loud in one accord. And we sound like a, a, a cacophony. We pray the old-fashioned way in Acts chapter 4, verses 24 to 31. We said goodbye, and I drove on home. They went back to the west, and I went on to the southeast. A few months later, I was suddenly prompted to ask, I wonder what happened to Tanya. I'd completely forgotten about it. And you know what? When I was standing there in the front of that church, classroom or the auditorium chamber where we meet in the morning, I got up there with my stuff and I was, I, I, I'd forgotten about the lady we had just prayed for some uh, six hours earlier. I'd forgotten about it. I mean, I got up, I got up, I got up out of bed. I'd already gotten up to pray about, for about 25 or 30 minutes, at least at three o'clock in the morning. I set my alarm clock and went up there, and I'd forgotten about her. And there she was, standing in front of me. She had a burgundy, a deep burgundy dress. I remember it. It was a deep, beautiful burgundy dress. It wasn't so much beautiful, but it was. It looked nice, and it was. Uh, it wasn't anything uh, that you normally see a kid wear at a Bible school, but it was really a nice dress. It was a, a formal-like looking dress. And there she stood in front of me, and praise the Lord. Well, we prayed for Tanya, and I had forgotten about it. And I thought one day, about three months, I said, Lord, wonder what happened to Tanya? Well, I looked up the name of her grandmother. Her, her, her grandmother's name was Brant. And she had been, her name was Brant, her mother, the girl's mother's name was Brant. Maiden name is Brant. So I looked up and I found John Brant. And I called up there and I told him who I was. And I said, I was kind of finding, uh, everyone kind of wondering how Tanya was doing. Oh, she's, she went back to work yesterday. She went back to work yesterday. Took her three months, but she went back to work that day. Or, or yesterday, I should say. The day before. So that girl was healed. And I had, to, I had to know that it was my faith because I heard the 103. When I heard the 103, I said, uh-oh. When I saw the scriptures, forgetting out all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Notice that. Forgiveth all thine iniquities. You need, your iniquities, you need to be forgiven of them, okay? Who redeemeth thy life from destruction, had two weeks to live. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies? 
the Lord's tender mercy reached down and set her on the, on the road to healing, so that thy youth is restored like the eagles. So I was so happy about it. And I've since talked with her mother, because I knew her mother from when I was a kid, when I was 10 or 12 years old. And uh, my mother knew her, her, uh, her, her mother, because they were friends in school in 1929 to uh, 22 to 29, roughly. Now, I want to tell you something. I'm going to read the rest of this to you. My name was Al Cuppet, and I was born in, in the Pentecostal movement in a farmhouse in Glendale, Maryland. And my father, Burl Wesley, was a railway mail clerk. He was the son of a fireball Methodist evangelist and pastor named Jacob Cuppet, Jake Cuppet. My mother was the tall and spunky daughter of a Pentecostal Bible teacher and a convert from Roman Catholicism, Henry Skipper. Henry's twin brother was John Carroll Skipper, my great-uncle, converted from Romanism at 35 years of age by Jake Cuppet's summertime revival preaching. Two twin brothers, two years later, these two twin brothers, they came into the glorious Pentecostal experience by the preaching of Brother Cox from Azusa Street. Azusa Street. Cox and Seymour were the team that started that revival out there in 1906. I first come to know Jesus as a Savior in 51, but within two years I promptly backslid, nobody telling me that girls in baseball could cause you a great spiritual problem. I managed to return to a sinful lifestyle, wasting my substance on whatever until 69, when after having served 10 years in the U.S. Army. I was at Schofield Barracks, and the Lord saw fit to save my soul at 12.30 a.m. on the 5th of January. It was from there the Lord began to train what some of you now know as Al Cuffett. I'm an only child. I had a wonderful teacher named Geneva Skipper Cuffett. My mother, who's unorthodox, and to many, she was spiritually controversial. She instilled faith in me by prayer and great stories of the great Pentecostal revival in Garrett County. Now, she also lectured to me and liberally used the rod of correction on my not-so-swift-to-obey posterior, okay? My childhood, Pastor Harry V. Schaefer, also schooled in the same 1906-1930 Pentecostal beliefs and movement. He further enhanced my beliefs and faith by his faithful preaching. And my brother Bob, who was eight years younger than me, my brother in the Lord, Bob, I, I don't have a brother, sister, but uh, he also went to that church and sat under the same pastor. Mom made sure I knew the power of God. Uncle John and Mom was out cutting wood when she was 10 years old. She stuck her hand into the pile to grab a red ribbon, and my Uncle John, he wasn't able to stop the axe, and it cut off her finger. Her left index finger was cut off square through the knuckle. I've heard the story many times as well. I've seen the scar. My grandma, Laura Skipper, she had stopped the blood, stowed the finger back on, and took it to my great aunt uh, homie. She prayed for it. They took it to the church and prayed for it. They all prayed in 1926, and her finger was healed completely. It worked perfectly until it was 2 p.m. on the sixth day of September, okay, of 2005, when the Lord called her home to her heavenly reward. My dear brother and the Lord Bob saw the whole scenario in a vision early in the morning of the day she left us. It was a glorious revelation. 
My parents made a horrendous mistake letting me buy a motor scooter in 1955, styled like a motorcycle, to run my big paper route, instead of letting me put an engine in the 1954 coupe I had bought. On the 14th of December, the day of number for, for deliverance, I passed the rider's test and was set to run the route. It was one hour later, and I had my driver's license in my pocket. Just got my driver's license for the motorcycle. She said, don't you get out of your girlfriend's house. I went anyhow. I stuck the basket in a honeysuckle pile of honeysuckle. Didn't look good having my basket on the back of the motorcycle, and I took off down the road. I came up behind the bus. It was number 81, the International School Bus. The kids from Seabrook were on the bus looking out, and I was waving to them. The bus swung off to the left. I think I thought it was going to pull in a totally huge garage to unload, but so I could give it to gas, and he turned right, right in front of me. And I hit the side of the bus. Well, folks, I'll tell you what. I hit the ground, and I could look up, and I could see the school kids looking out the window, and I saw Prince George's County school bus sign going by. And I didn't realize that my feet were underneath that bus. And immediately I was spun 270 degrees to the right, completely around 270 degrees. I didn't realize it then, but I did many years later, that my lower legs had probably been under the bus. And just before the thing ran over me, the angel of the Lord spun me around. The shock of both legs being run over would probably kill me or certainly made me for life. W. Steelhead told me he was pumping gas across the way. He used to be my bus driver. I heard the impact and looked. Man, you were spinning out of the way of the, those wheels. Me spinning? I was in a state of shock. That was a miracle. In about 20 minutes, Bill Darrow, in a 1950 or 51 Buick ambulance of the Glendale Rescue Squad, picked me up and took me down to Leaven Memorial Hospital. But what did it say in the scriptures? Hebrews 1, 13 and 14. To which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are then all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? I was about to be an heir of salvation. And he sent that angel out there to spin me around from that bus wheel. Okay? That's how merciful the Lord is. See, the Lord watches over us, those who will one day be saved, even before we're saved, even when we're far from our day of salvation. 14th of December, the day that happened, is the King James Bible numeric code for salvation deliverance, and I was truly delivered on that day. I'll tell you what else happened here. I'm going to read this to you because most of you didn't heard this. From 52 on, I entered into a black, backslidden state. I went the way of the world. I enlisted in the Army in 57, later being schooled in long-distance single court communications. I served the most serious in Camp Darby, Italy. After learning Italian, three overseas tour, I came home. I re enlisted in 63, about two months later. I married my high school sweetheart. I went to Korea in 64 when the Lord performed another miracle for me that I wasn't, when I wasn't even in God's grace. I'm going to make it short what happened here. A Korean farmhand was working in the cucumber fields, and they were spread all around our receiver site. And he walked up to a married woman who was married to one of our guys, and she'd been out to visit him at the site, and he kneed her in the stomach when she was five months pregnant. 
uh, he makes some snide remark to her, and she slaps him, and he meets her in the stomach. Well, they sent out a patrol to catch that guy, but they didn't find him. A month later, in 1965, at a beach party on the river, as the party was breaking up, uh, I decided I'd take the houseboy and go back to the barracks. Now, this party was illegal because we weren't supposed to be swimming on the Han River due to pollution of the river. A truckload of eight of our then drunken radio, recite, radio receiver site troops with Mac's wife in the front seat and Mac driving the truck was headed back to the site. It came upon three Koreans walking toward the truck. As the headlights illuminated the three, the little guy suddenly turned in the about face. And Mac's wife said, that's the guy that kicked me. About 10 Americans bailed out and caught the guy. Now, I've never drank liquor, saved or unsaved. And I've been bored with the party, and I'd come back early with our houseboy, Joe. And I'm sure that my mom prayed the liquor desire out of me because one time I tried it, I got real sick. And that's the last time I tried it. Short time later at the site, I'd gotten back to the site, and I suddenly heard, we got the guy that kicked Mac's wife. We got him out in the, out in the power shed. And the, sli- and, the, and the supply shed, and we're beating the slop out of him. And they were. He was unconscious with a lot of broken bones or bruises. The site chief, and I can tell you his name, okay, he had left already, but I didn't realize it, but I was a senior non-commissioned officer on the site at that time. Whoa. This is important to the story. One specialist, and I can remember his name, his last name had two letters in it. That's all. He only had two letters in his last name, okay? He shouted, we're going to throw him in a binjo hole. That meant a 20 by 20 foot, 8 foot deep honey well, which is full of human excrement, okay? He would drown for sure, and we'd surely have a murder charge against us. But that thought didn't occur to me at the time, but it did to the Lord, and this is what happened. I said to one drunken soldier, you get a pair of civilian shorts. And this, and you get him on this guy. They didn't strip him off, and he was bloody. Put them on him. You cut out the laundry mark, and I'll decide what to do. I grabbed the houseboy, Joe. Joe, he was a Korean. He and I were the only two guys, besides the two guys on duty in the receiver site, were the only four, only four guys sober at that time. I told Joe, I know you're not supposed to drive that three-quarter ton truck, but you get that guy out of here, and you take him to the village and do what you can for him. We put the guy in the truck, and Joe took him to his village. And I'm sure he told, told, the, told the local Koreans the whole story, including. I'm sure that he told them about the wife-kicking incident and everything else. He probably told the guy in his family, hey, man, I saved your life. G.I.'s going to kill you. I saved you. And I just praised God for Joe. Folks, I only had two weeks left in Korea, so I stayed on the site all 14 days. But had they thrown him in the Honeywell, I would have been responsible because I was the senior guy in charge on that site at the time. It was a miracle to have escaped a murder charge brought about by enraged, drunken GIs. But the Lord be praised, he watched over me when I was lost. Um, so that's the story. But I'm going to tell you, Something what's going on here, folks, okay? What's happening? You patriots out there. 
Those of you know who've listened to me and Steve Quayle and a few others, you know that there's UN cops and UN troops all over this country. I've read the list of names several times on the, on this program. The list of their names about there's about 35 or 40 brands of these these cops. There are six funding programs. They're out there, and we know that the troops are hitting on the national parks. They're hitting at uh, old military closed down bases. They're on top of the there's these FEMA bases. There's 34 FEMA bases, including Peters Mountain, 30 to 10 miles or 20 miles from here. These foreign troops are here, and they're only waiting for the guns to be outlawed. And that's why they wanted to ban those steel core chip NATO ammunition. Because I remember back, way back when, there was a bunch of that stuff for sale. There was a whole bunch of that surplus stuff came out. And it'll punch through, evidently, Kevlar. And it'll push to evidently other armor too. Okay? Maybe the ceramic even. It can even go through and bust a ceramic. Or go through double Kevlar or something. But what we have out there, folks, right now is the situation. Here it is. We have these foreign cops and these foreign troops all over the country. And they've got names. They've got lists of names. Okay? They've got lists of names of millions of Americans on the red and blue list. We proved this back in 1995. If you want to see it, you Google for straight from the Joint Chiefs. Straight from the Joint Chiefs. You watch that video that somebody put up there on YouTube. You'll see that there was a red and blue list, like the Nazis had, and there were 6.2 million American names on that list way back in 96. How many of you think is on that list now? Well, there's a bunch of Americans out there who know this stuff that are, are patriotic, constitutional guys, and they don't plan on going anywhere to any jail with a U.N. cop because the U.N. and four of these foreign cops have got federal ID cards, and they can drive up to a jail and say, I want the guy, I want this guy that you got in the back room. you got a handcuff back there. So we've got plenty of guys, hundreds and thousands of guys going around this country that know that there are UN, there are foreign cops and foreign troops, and they know if they're arrested, their days are over. If an American deputy or American state police guy pulls these guys over, if he pulls them over, and the weapon they have in the car is illegal, they're going to go to jail. And their freedom's over. And they're packing some stuff because as soon as the guns are outlawed, and even before, okay, these foreign cops are operating, and they don't plan on going anywhere with a foreign cop. Because a foreign cop can take you and take you up to a heliport, put you in a helicopter, and fly you away. I told the people this in 1998 was going to happen, and they built two clandestine helipads right up here, eight, eight miles from my house, up in this mall, the Wallace management area. And so what happens is these patriotic fellows who know that these foreign cops are out there and these Russian cops with the six funding programs, a trillion dollars or more to fund them, okay, over the last uh, 
uh, 20 years, including the Obama administration funded three of them, and Bush and Clinton and Bush funded the other three. Okay? Clinton funded the other three funding programs. And uh, so these guys are going to be loaded and carrying stuff to make sure they don't go anyplace. If they are stopped by a state trooper or if they're stopped by a deputy, the deputy doesn't know what these guys know and what I'm telling you. He doesn't know the foreign troops and cops are here. Some of them know they're here, but they haven't thought about what I'm telling you right now. If that deputy stops a guy and he's got an illegal gun in the car, if the deputy searches the car like they've been doing without probable cause, and he's caught with a gun, he's going to be locked up. And he's got a good chance of the foreign cop coming to get him. So he's got one chance to escape. They're pitting Americans against Americans. Just like the Nazis did. That deputy doesn't know it, but he stands in the way. The only thing that stands between that guy in the car and him is, is, is this deputy. So what's going to happen? The guy in the car, you know what he's going to do? His, his only hope is to get, get away right now. If he gets locked up and his gun is found and he's taken to jail, he's, all, he's going to be hauled off one day. You see? And these guys are making sure no UN or no foreign cop catches them. They're going to be packing something. And that's the situation we're facing. And our deputies, for the most part, are dumb, deaf, and dumb, and blind to what's going on. And they're now pitting Americans against Americans. The deputy pitted against the constitutional patriot guy. That's what they're doing. And in these foreign, these SUVs, these big Ford Expeditions, or these big Chevy Tahoes, are these foreign cops. They got guns. They got a cage in the back of their car. They got a high-tech locked-up cage in the back of that SUV. I've seen them. I've seen them through, uh, through the open window. I've seen those cages. They're, they're high-tech cages. They don't look anything like what our policemen have in their cars, okay? They got narrow little slits. You can't tell who's inside that cage. Somebody's in the cage, you can't tell it. Because the slits are only a quarter, eighth of an inch wide and two inches long. Can't get any light through that thing to see if there's anybody in the back of that car. So we're facing this this very situation right now, folks. And uh, we have this problem, and it's, it's going to happen as sure as this world. And I'm going to uh, play, play a song here for you. I've uh, played it before, but it's, it's a good song. And... Uh, You'll recognize the artist, and I want to uh, play it. I play it pretty regularly, but I might just play How Great Thou Art on this one, okay? We'll uh, run down here and get down to the uh, back number 20. Hang on. This is, uh, you'll recognize the artist. This is a tremendous song, and he did a tremendous job on it, okay? 
Stand by here. One of my favorite gospel songs. God Church, Tupelo, Mississippi. He knew the whole story, and the night they found him, August of uh, 78, I think it was, he passed away. He had a Bible with him. 
And I found out another thing on a documentary. He was singing in a, in a venue someplace with uh, a quartet of uh, three black gals. Three black sisters were singing. And uh, he'd sung with them one, once before, I think, and then he was singing with them again. And one had just been diagnosed with cancer. And she come in, and they were all down in the dumps. And they said, what's the matter? Well, sisters, what's your name? She's got cancer. just got confirmed cancer. No, said, why? We can pray about that. And he and those four gals joined hands, and he prayed for her. And she obviously felt something happen. She went back to the doctor the next day. I saw the I saw the gal, the girls testifying about this after his death. Okay, and they said she went back and had a had a check, and the cancer was gone. So the Lord can do wonderful things, and uh, He also forgives His mercy and liberty to all generations. So you never know. Anyhow, we're going all that great tonight, but. Uh, it was what really happened. You need to start reading your Bible. You need to get out of that bed in the morning and pray. And you need to pray and seek the Lord's face. Open your King James Bible and look for something to jump out of the page at you. Sometime during the day, you read another couple chapters. I'm telling you, folks, you've got to hear that still small voice. Now, the Underground Railroad is functional. In 1999, in February, I was asked by a Jewish lawyer and a Messianic believer if I'd start an underground railroad. I didn't know. I said, how am I going to start an underground railroad? I don't know about underground railroad, Lord. And uh, I said, what am I going to do? Just like when I was praying for time, I didn't know what to do. And... uh, I said, this girl's dying, and he asked me to read a scripture? Man. And I just prayed a silent prayer, Lord, what am I doing? I heard 103. Well, I stood there, and I said, Lord, they've asked me to set up an underground railroad to move Jews back to Israel from wherever in this world, and I have no clue how to do this. No clue whatsoever. And all of a sudden, this Jewish lawyer pointed at me, Esther 4.14, he started, he pointed right at me. He wasn't a believer. Orthodox. Had a kippah, yarmulke on his head. Said, if you ought to get a hold of your peace at this time, then deliverance to the Jews will come from some other place. And your father's house will be destroyed. I said, hey, you're talking about... You're talking about Queen Esther, man. That's Mordecai talking to Esther. And uh, I said, wait a minute. I want to read. I said, let me read that to you. Let me read that to you from my Bible. So I grabbed my Bible. And it says, for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? 
And I'd had a black brother preach that word to me on the uh, 6th, 7th, 8th day of January of 1986, Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday at 12, 11.30 in the Pentagon Auditorium. And that verse shook me. It actually vibrated my head. My whole body vibrated when we were praying. He read that verse. When that Jewish lawyer, he looked at me and he said, you all together hold your peace. I said, that's Esther 414, man. I didn't know how he did it, but he did. He did it. The Holy Ghost made a move, a sovereign move, and he spoke those words. I asked Jack years later, he said, I don't know, man. He said, those words have been burning in my spirit all day. For some reason, I had them words, and I had them words in there. And most of the time, they don't even study those words. They study the first, first five books of the Bible, the Torah. Well, folks, I want to tell you, the Underground Railroad is established. Then, uh, what, uh, from 99 is 09 is, is 10 years, and 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 years. It's been 16 years. The Lord give it to me in steps. Use a dear brother in West Virginia. Use a brother out there. Use the brother in Israel. Use my mother. Use this holy word of God. And the Underground Railroad is functional right now. It is operational right now. So with that, I'm going to... It's taken a lot of time and contributions from people that put the money overseas. I was just the I was just the PR for it. Somebody else sent all the money over there, and they bought the conveyances have been purchased. The crews are ready to roll at any time. So let's close with prayer, and I'll see you next week. I'll see you, I believe, at nine o'clock. Next Thursday at 9 p.m., I'm going to be on uh, the Omega Man show at 9 p.m., okay? Next Thursday. All right. Father, we come to you now in these closing moments. We thank you for the listeners. We thank you for the program, for our producer. Bless him, Lord. Watch over him. Watch over the listeners, Lord. May they wake up each morning to pray. May they read their Bible. And may faith abound in their hearts and not fear. We rebuke fear in the name of Jesus. Smite it by the shed blood and tell it to leave all those who are listening. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy, your grace, and your blessings. Remember my son Donald and have all the saints of God pray. And we ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Shalom. I'll see you next week. Thanks, Al. Ladies and gentlemen, Al Cuppet on Freedom Fighters for America World Radio. Thank you for listening in to this March 5th, 2015 episode.
Freedom Fighters for America World Radio is sponsored by Freedom Fighters for America at www.freedomfightersforamerica.com. Thank you for tuning in. Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win.